In the Bible, there are at least 10 narratives of people being raised from the dead. And God is still in the business of resurrection life. One of the greatest miracles ever is the rebirth of the nation of Israel, a nation that has been literally brought back from the dead like the proverbial phoenix rising out of ashes of the Nazi Holocaust. But God has spectacular plans for us in the future concerning his ongoing resurrection power. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by you, the viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. In the Bible, both the famous prophets Elijah and Elisha raised the dead. And in the ministry of Jesus, at least three persons were raised from the dead that we have records of in the Gospels. And of course, his own resurrection is the central miracle of the New Testament. In fact, one of the miracles that makes Christianity unique is the fact that all believers will someday be raised from the dead or raptured alive to be taken to heaven at the Lord's second appearing. Our mortal bodies will be changed into glorious, incorruptible, supernatural beings. In this broadcast, I want to mention briefly all 10 instances in the Bible when people were raised from the dead, and then we'll talk about one of the greatest resurrection miracles to come, because God is soon wrapping up his program for planet Earth before the millennial rule of Jesus from Jerusalem. The first person recorded in the Bible who was raised from the dead is found in 1 Kings chapter 17, the son of the widow of Jerophath, a pagan city in Phoenicia. The prophet Elijah had been lodging in a widow's house while he was visiting Phoenicia under God's direction. Unexpectedly, the woman's son grew sick and died. Elijah stretched himself out on the dead body three times and cried out to God for the boy's life to return. And miraculously, God honored Elijah's faith. The child's life did return to him. The woman declared the prophet to be a man of God. And by performing this miracle outside of Israel, God demonstrated that he is the Lord of the nations and that all the nation's gods or mere idols. Jesus himself reminded his Jewish people of the universality of God when he spoke in his synagogue in Nazareth. He said in Luke chapter 4, I tell you truthfully that there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and great famine swept all over the land. Yet he said, Elijah wasn't sent to any of those Israeli widows, but to the widow in Zarephath. Although God has chosen Israel as his witnesses, nevertheless, he also was concerned about the nations. Now, next on the list of resurrections in the Bible, Elijah's successor, Elisha, healed and raised from the dead, the son of a great woman of faith, and that's recorded in 2 Kings 4. Elisha lodged in the prophet's chamber, the upper room of the wealthy couple's home in Shunem, territory within the tribe of Issachar. Because of their hospitality, 
Elisha had prayed for the woman to bear a son, and God answered. But one day the boy was struck down by pain in his head, and he died in his mother's arms. By faith, this great woman put the child on Elisha's bed and hurried to find him at Mount Carmel. And along her way, she was very careful with her words, saying as people asked her how she was, it is well with my soul. Elisha returned to the house and laid himself on the dead body, praying as his mentor Elijah had prayed. The boy's body grew warm, and then he sneezed seven times. Well, I'll never forget being in a Bible study in Africa with evangelist Reinhard Bonka, a blessed memory, and he was sharing a devotional on this passage. Reinhard had a great sense of humor, and he quipped that some people would no doubt make a doctrine out of the fact that the resurrected boy had sneezed seven times. But that little factoid is recorded simply to indicate a perfect work of God, seven being God's favorite number, and it's symbolic of completion. Resurrection number three now, and this one is particularly fascinating. It's the miraculous resurrection of an unnamed Israelite man, and that's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 13. After the death of Elisha the prophet, raiders from the neighboring nation of Moab interrupted a funeral procession. There was no time for ceremony, so fearing for their lives, the burial party quickly threw the Israelites' corpse into Elisha's nearby tomb. But as soon as the corpse came in contact with Elisha's bones, the dead body revived and stood up on his feet. Bible scholars say this miracle was not only a foreshadowing of Jesus being resurrected out of his grave clothes, but it was also a foreshadowing of the great miracle of the valley of the dry bones coming back to life as recorded in Ezekiel chapter 37. That chapter is the awesome prophecy of God's plans to resurrect the nation of Israel in the last days, a prophecy that is ongoing in our lifetime, and we're eyewitnesses. What a time to be alive. Resurrection number four in the Bible is recorded in Luke chapter seven, the raising of the son of the widow of Nain in the Galilee. At the town gate of Nain, Jesus and his disciples encountered the funeral procession. The only son of a widow was to be buried. With compassion for the widow, Jesus touched the stretcher and commanded the young man to get up. And the young man sat up and began talking, and Jesus gave the young man back to his mother. Of course, the people were astounded, praising God and saying, a great prophet has appeared amongst us. You see, obviously the crowd recognized in Jesus a prophet like Elijah and Elisha. Number five, this time the resurrection was a daughter, as recorded in Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. Jairus, a synagogue leader, begged Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter who was dying. But on the way to heal her, a messenger came to tell Jesus not to bother because the girl had already died. But Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. 
They arrived at the house to find mourners weeping and wailing. But Jesus announced that the girl was not dead, only sleeping, and they laughed at him. But Jesus went in, took her by the hand, and said, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Her spirit returned to her, and Jesus ordered her parents to give her something to eat. You see, Jesus continually demonstrated his authority over nature, over demonic powers, disease, and even death. Then resurrection number six in the Bible was the friend of Jesus named Lazarus. And the account is found in John chapter 11. Three of Jesus' closest friends were Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Oddly, when Jesus was told Lazarus was sick, he didn't go to them straight away in Bethany, but he held back. And by the time he arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Martha met Jesus outside the village where he told her, your brother will rise again because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Although, as I said, Lazarus had been dead four days, Nevertheless, Jesus ordered the stone to be rolled away, and he said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He raised his eyes to heaven and prayed aloud to his father and commanded Lazarus to come out of the tomb. The man who had been dead got up and walked out like a mummy, still wrapped in burial cloths. What a dramatic scene! Well, resurrection number seven was appropriately Jesus himself, as recorded in all four Gospels. After a mock trial, the true Messiah had been scourged and taken away to Golgotha, the skull hill outside of Jerusalem, where Roman soldiers nailed him to a cross. But that was all part of God's plan of salvation for humanity, for Jesus to die sacrificially as the Passover lamb of God. His lifeless body was put in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea because it was only needed for the weekend. Sunday morning, the stone was found rolled away. The tomb was empty. The resurrected Lord appeared first to Mary Magdalene, then to his apostles, then to many others around the city. Quotes by famous men on the resurrection of Jesus fill volumes and volumes of books. But I like a very incisive quote by Mahatma Gandhi, who said, A man who was completely innocent offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Indeed, it was. The Apostle Paul summarized the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 6. Paul said, What I received, I passed on to you of primary importance, that Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 other brethren at the same time. Hallelujah. 
Resurrection number eight is one of the greatest resurrection accounts describing saints who were resurrected in Jerusalem. Very mysterious as recorded in Matthew 27 in verses 50 to 54. These verses tell us that the earth shook, the rocks split in two, and the tombs broke open, and bodies of many holy persons who had died were raised to life, coming out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. And they went into Jerusalem and appeared to many. Again, it's frightening in a way, but amazingly awesome. Now, moving on to resurrection number nine, the apostle Peter, we're told, raised a woman named Tabitha from the dead in Acts chapter nine. Everyone in Jaffa admired her for her good deeds, helping the poor and making garments for others. But tragically, she had died prematurely. And so believers didn't want to accept that. And they sent for the apostle Peter because he was staying nearby. Well, clearing everyone from the room, Peter fell to his knees and prayed. And then he commanded her, Tabitha, get up. And immediately she sat up. And Peter presented her alive to her friends. And the news spread like wildfire and many more became believers in Jesus. Resurrection number 10 is when the apostle Paul raised a boy named Eutychus from the dead after an accident recorded in Acts chapter 20. Sitting on a windowsill, the young man had dozed off to sleep during Paul's sermon and he fell out of the window to his death. But Paul rushed outside and laid himself on the lifeless body, embracing him as had Elijah and Elisha when they raised the dead. Immediately, Eutychus came back to life. Now I might add two other resurrections recorded in the book of Revelation that are set to take place in the future during the Great Tribulation. God's two witnesses, as recorded in Revelation chapter 11, will minister powerfully, miraculously, but eventually, God will allow them to be killed and their bodies will lie in the public square of Jerusalem for three and a half days while via the internet and television, people worldwide will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The earth dwellers will gloat over the deaths of the two preachers and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets will have tormented sinners. This future account reminds me of how terrorists in our lifetime often distribute gifts and sweets in the streets after one of their atrocities. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God is going to enter the two witnesses and they will be resurrected. They'll stand to their feet while terror will strike those who watch. And they will ascend up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watch resurrection power of God is going to continue to touch our world. And I'll never forget a couple of years ago seeing this ancient Judean date palm tree in Israel that was resurrected from ancient seeds at the Arava Institute for Environmental Studies. In the biblical kingdom of Judea, this species of date palm was a source of food, shelter, medicine, and shade, of course. But the plant went extinct due to waves of conquest and destruction. However, amazingly, 
1963, the late archaeologist Yagel Yadin began excavating Masada, the famous mountaintop fortress. Yadin unearthed a small stockpile of seeds that had been stowed in a clay jar dating back 2,000 years. For the next four decades, the ancient seeds were kept in a drawer. But in 2005, a botanical researcher decided to plant one of the seeds and produced a sapling, becoming the oldest known tree seed to germinate. The plant was nicknamed Methuselah after the longest living person in the Bible. Just think about that. After 2,000 years, this variety of the Judean date palm is back and the sweet ancient fruit is being harvested once again. But the greatest resurrection of our generation is undoubtedly the nation of Israel. Sadly, too few churches are teaching about this prophetic truth. The legendary preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, I think we don't attach enough importance to the restoration of the Jews, but certainly if there's anything promised in the Bible, he said, it is this, the restoration of the Jews. Well, we all know how important God is to Orthodox Jewish people, but have we ever wondered what Israel actually means to God? I did some research and Dr. Charles Feinberg was a great Jewish Christian scholar who wrote that Israel means a great deal to God. God said to Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, I will make of you a great nation. But the promise seemed impossible to fulfill because of the advanced age of Abraham's wife, Sarah. But that was no problem, of course, for God. He was determined to demonstrate that Israel would be a miracle nation born from a miracle pregnancy. First of all, Dr. Feinberg stated God needed Israel to be a witness to the unity of God in view of the countless multitudes who worship multiple gods. Therefore, to this day, the watchword of the Jewish people and their dying words are the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. God also purposed to use the Jewish people in the reception, preservation, and transmission of Holy Scriptures. To this day, scholars marvel at the wonderful preservation of the Hebrew text. Paul reminded us in the book of Romans that to the Jewish people were entrusted the oracles of God. Furthermore, God also needed Israel to be his channel to send the Messiah to the world. And the word of God reveals that Israel will continue to be paramount to God in the future when he will commission 144,000 evangelists from the 12 tribes as worldwide preachers. By the way, the tribe of Dan is omitted from the list in the book of Revelation, apparently because of gross idolatry, as noted in Deuteronomy chapter 29. But in case you're worried about Dan in Ezekiel 48, the tribe of Dan is included in the future kingdom layout. So Dan will be restored graciously to the kingdom. If only the churches understood the times like the children of Issachar understood in Bible days. Every day a new prophecy in the churches comes forward about how there's going to be a, a great worldwide revival because of the promise of Jesus in Matthew 24, 14, where he said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all nations, and then 
shall the end come. This verse has consistently been applied to the work of the church, and up to this point, that has certainly been true. But some Bible scholars, including the aforementioned Dr. Feinberg, explained that the context of Matthew chapter 24 is Jesus speaking unmistakably to Israel concerning the time of Jacob's trouble in the future, known also as the Great Tribulation. It's during that time in the future of unprecedented trouble that Israel will be like 144,000 Apostle Pauls. The great Jewish preacher will be multiplied, as it were, thousands of times to tell the story of the gospel to all nations. These extraordinary Jewish evangelists are revealed to us in Revelation chapter 7. They are elected by God himself from the tribes of Israel. The result and fruit of their testimony will be a great unnumbered multitude from every tribe and nation worshiping before the throne of God. I do pray for God to grant America and the nations an extended period of grace to preach the gospel. But the church at this time will not establish God's kingdom on earth. The kingdom on earth will be achieved only after God redeems Israel following the miracle of the resurrection of the dead and the rapture. To emphasize, I'm praying for an extended period of grace for the United Kingdom, for all the Christian nations. But I also believe that we're rapidly approaching the last days when the church age will be completed. I try always to exhort other believers to keep in mind that the church age is not supposed to last forever. In fact, it will only last until the full number of Gentiles is saved, and then all of Israel shall be saved. Some preachers behave like there's no tomorrow and that the church age will just go on indefinitely. But they're failing to rightly divide the word of God, and they fail to recognize that God is not finished with Israel. God still has work to do with Israel, and Israel still has seven years to fulfill on God's prophetic timeline, according to Revelations in Daniel chapter 9. So when God wants world-class missionaries, Dr. Feinberg wrote, he will again take up his cause with Israel. And these end-time Jewish preachers will be like a company of Jonas, come back in their rightful place as prophet preachers to the nations. So I can guarantee you in the future, God will yet employ Israel as a light to the nations to spread the knowledge of himself and Messiah during the great tribulation and in the kingdom, the millennium. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. As Zechariah 8:23 prophesies, it all ties together. That verse says, in those days it shall come to pass that 10 men shall take hold out of all of the nations the garment of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The scripture tells us in Revelation 7 that it will be impossible for those 144,000 super preachers to be hurt. They'll be sealed on their foreheads, protected, unlike those who will be doomed for taking the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist. So during the future tribulation period, there are going to be Jews and Israelites effectively preaching the gospel. Revelation 7-9 testifies, John said, I saw a great multitude, nobody can number, from all the nations crying, 
salvation to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Now, only God knows where all of the tribes are presently located since the Jewish people lost records of the tribes in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But God doesn't need those records. He is all-knowing, and he knows exactly where the tribes are located at this moment. And one of the great resurrections going on right now, I'm so happy to report, is the resurrection of the so-called lost tribes. Scripture clearly teaches that in the future, representatives of the tribes will be commissioned to reach the world with the gospel of the kingdom to bring about the greatest harvest of souls. So we're not only talking of Judah and Benjamin, we're talking about the other tribes that have been lost, but that God is bringing back from India and from China and so forth. Presently, all the immigration to Israel that we're seeing today is not the final regathering, but it's the beginning. It's the preliminary to the final ingathering. God's plan is unfolding day by day. And often we see Ethiopian Jews and Indian Jews returning to the land of Israel and others recently escaping from war in Ukraine. All of this prophetic activity points to the soon return of the Lord for his bride, the church. Jesus' last words in the book of Revelation are, Behold, I come quickly. And the response of John was, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And John could say that because he was ready. My question today, am I ready? Are you ready? Jesus will come for his completed church, and then there will be a terrible time of tribulation. But through it, Israel will be saved. I pray for God to give the church his heart for Israel to pray that all of God's purposes for Israel will come to pass. That's part of the command, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The prophet Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him home. And let's walk with God like Enoch. And let's be known also as the friend of God like Abraham. We believers mustn't be afraid of offending the world with the truth. And so I exhort you without apology to believe on the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And then the Bible promises you shall be saved. Well, I hope you'll have an opportunity to check out our website, exports.tv, which will bring you further news on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, also at Rumble, we offer a library of videos 24-7, and we invite you to sign up for our free electronic weekly email. All of this ministry is based upon Daniel 1132b, which declares... The people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will accomplish exploits, meaning we're going to do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media, and don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones or tablets. Today I want to leave you with Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's pray without ceasing. The grace of the Lord be with you. Maranatha. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom.